despite what you may feel about yourself, God loves you. I want to tell you uh, a little story to get started here about what it was like on the holidays in, in my house when I was growing up. I mean, we had good holidays. I always enjoyed them. Um, it was fun getting gifts, of course, and it was good to go to church. And, you know, my parents and grandparents were always around. And part of that last part, my grandparents being around, was part of the downer part of, of our house on holidays. Because you knew when my dad's dad came over that you were going to be serenaded by hours of stories about himself. You could hardly break in on it. It was, I did this and I did that. Look how strong I was. When a guy tried to fight me, I kicked him under the chin. Look how flexible I was. Man, the ladies loved me. Oh, these people are so proud of my work. The first time around when you heard my grandfather's stories, you might have been charmed by them. And that's the problem. You know, people gushed when he told these stories the first time. When you heard them the 20th time and noticed that the facts, the details changed a little bit over the course of time, they weren't so charming anymore. I remember one holiday, we were sitting there listening to him gas bag it up, and my mother just couldn't take it anymore. And she walked into the kitchen and started muttering about him quite loudly, and it was not nice. I always wondered, why was he such a bragging windbag? And then I found out about his childhood. He grew up on a, like a family homestead on a farm in Iowa. And his parents were no-nonsense old Germans. And they had a lot of kids. And apparently Oscar, my grandfather, was not their favorite. So they used words like, you will never amount to anything. You are worthless. And he left that house really with one lifetime mission to prove his parents wrong. That's why he was the way he was. Knowing that made him much more sympathetic person in my mind. I didn't want to hear the stories anymore, but much more sympathetic in my mind. A lot of people are like him. Maybe you are, maybe without the stories. It is pretty easy to get a lot of wounds, emotional wounds, wounds to your self-image in this world. And it comes from multiple sources. And let's just kind of tick them off. So parents are the biggest, right? If your parents don't like you, if they express negativity about you for whatever reason, whether you earned it somehow or, or this just them ventilating their wounds. That hurts. You hear it enough, you believe it. And you can carry those wounds for a lifetime. 
But parents aren't the only ones. Peers and sibs do their share. I will confess again to my fault as a kid who is a, who is a brother. My sister, four and a half years younger than me, um, I remember many, many times telling her how stupid she was. My word at the time, a very offensive word, don't use it now, was mental. You're mental. And I said it a lot probably. Now looking back, I realize who the dummy was in the equation, and it wasn't her, it was me. Four and a half years makes a difference. You should expect somebody four and a half years younger than you to not know what you know, to not be able to do what you do. There's not something wrong with them. They're younger. But I didn't get it. And I fear that my my constant harping on that point was believed and, and that she underachieved in part because I told her she could. Other kids will jump in too. You don't have to go to bad schools to find it. It'll happen anywhere. It happens at ELS. A couple of times, I got called in as the pastor to talk to a class. You know, when they call me in, it is bad. Okay? So the teacher is basically thrown in the towel and the principal has said, I'm not getting anywhere. We're going to tell the pastor on you guys. And then I come. Both times it was a sixth grade class. They were being intensely cruel to each other. Guess who was the major offenders? Was it the boys or the girls? Everybody knew it. The girls were the major offender. Man, they can be mean. Junior high school kids in general. I know there's a few. You're mean. All right. And and it's it's understandable, I guess, why why we're mean at that age. But boy, you know, ask anybody in this room, if you had the chance to go back and be 13 again, your answer would be, no, thank you. Because they can beat you down. I had one, and boy, this kid was brave. Because physically, I, I could have destroyed him easily. But he just rode me and rode me and rode me, mocking anything that he could think about when, when I was that age. And because I was a nice kid, like I am now a nice guy, I was not prone to violence, so I just, I didn't do it. Boy, I wanted to. He's lucky I didn't jump on him and pound him silly. But that kind of stuff hurts. It, it can hurt a lot. Pro, even the Proverbs talk about, you know, the words of fools. And there were certainly plenty of fools to to give you words. So you come out of school probably emotionally beaten up a little bit. It may make you stronger, but it probably makes you just hurt. And then you get to do some failures yourself. You know, you have these high expectations for what you're going to do, 
and maybe you achieve them and maybe you don't. And you fail in different parts of life. Sometimes it's schooling and sometimes it's work and a lot of times it's relationships and and all of those weigh down on it. And then there's the sinful part of you that acts up and does things that you deeply regret. And, and sometimes even when, you know, we say God forgives you, that's the least of your worries. You don't forgive you. And you carry it with you with, with deep pain. And it can become a part, I don't know, I believe this is probably true for everybody. It can be this sort of self-talk in your head, this loop that says, you're worthless. It's like having my grand, great-grandparents in your head speaking to you. And when Satan knows that a child of God is saying such things about themselves, he is more than happy to do one of the few things he can do, and that's fuel that fire. And is it so bad that you think poorly of yourself? Yeah. Because there's some real negative outputs from it. Self-hatred can be one of them. It can be a, a rapidly descending hole. And at its worst, of course, self-hatred leads to, to suicidal thoughts and maybe suicidal action. And, and sometimes you can be stunned at the speed of it all. You know, I know of young people, a lot of things going for them. You think, this kid's got it together. And they take their life. And you don't, can't figure it out. It happens so, so very, very fast. And outside of self-hatred, there's the fear of failure. I don't know that every personality is like this, but mine certainly is. You know, you, you, you don't try things. Because why? You don't want to fail at things. So you should be asking other people out for dates. But you don't. Because you don't want one of them to say no. Or to show they don't like you. Where really your attitude should be like, whatever, you know. It isn't going to hurt me if they say no. You don't try various things because you you expect somehow to be good at it right from the get-go. I was terrible that way. I, I wanted to learn how to play billiards when I was a kid. How should you learn how to play billiards? Well, you find somebody's got a table or or you go to some place that has a table and and at first you stink, right? You publicly stink at playing billiards, but you figure it out and you learn how to play. I would not do that. What I did, even though I had very meager paying jobs, I was a paper boy and then I cleaned a, a, like a convenience store. I saved my money and I bought a pool table. I mean, 
pool tables are, this wasn't even a, a crummy pool table. This was a nice pool table. I bought it. My parents didn't chip in at all other than to say, yeah, you can put it downstairs. I learned how to play billiards all by myself with nobody watching because I couldn't stand to have anybody see me be bad at something. That tells you something, right? That, that's, that's, that's a little nuts. But fear of failure can be a part of the wounds that we carry. Then, you know, thinking about my grandfather, overcompensation. People tell me I'm this, I'm going to be that, you know, and, and you go so far out and you cover it up with a lot of talk. And a lot of people who are, I think, bullies and other people who are braggarts, they are compensating for something. They go fall out the other way because there's a deep wound that they are trying to mask, at least, if not heal. And then... And sadly, the reason I think the world is the way it is in part, we can take our wounds and we can pass them on to another. I don't feel so bad about me if I can beat somebody down further. That certainly is the culture at school. You know, you pass it down. And the kid at the bottom gets, gets just pummeled because other people are trying to feel better than them. But I don't know that you completely grow out of it. I mean, it's, it can be the culture of other places like workplaces or even homes. So all these things, they are, they're hurtful and we carry them around. And we can carry them around a long time. Now, let's get away from people's attitudes and talk about reality. Are we perfect? No. No. You do, I do, we do, we have a sinful nature. That the Bible tells you is factual. So that means we are going to step out of line. And that means we are going to hurt people. And that means there's things about us that we shouldn't be proud of. That's a reality. To deny that and say, oh, no, I, I have no problems is, is to be a fool. But to be perfect is really not necessary for this. We also have limits. You know, the, the curse leaves us with limits. And those limits sometimes will mean that certain things are not in our reach. Now, I know this sounds very not the public thing. You know, I, I heard it even this week. The kid goes, I want to encourage everybody to follow their dreams. Sounds right, right? Follow your dreams. You know, when I was growing up, my dreams were to be like a professional basketball player or a professional football player at first. And, uh, you know, there are certain 
physical limitations to that being true. And then there's other things, you know, people say, wow, I'm going to be a, a pop star. Yeah. Until you hear them sing, right? Even though that hasn't limited every pop star, I will say that. We have limits. So we may not be everything that we can fantasize about in our head. To make matters worse, you do go on and you do make bad decisions. And and so life becomes limiting, limiting, limiting because of bad decisions. I I deal with a lot of people. They come in for uh, financial help. They are in their 40s, late 40s sometimes. And what they are trying to do, what their dream is now, is they just want to find a place where they can live. That's their dream. It doesn't, doesn't have to be anything special. Running water is probably their only criteria in heat. You know, uh, we knock ourselves down, and that's a fact. Well, what does God want? What does God say? I mean, in the end, people can say whatever they want about me or you. And does it really matter? Parents can have their opinions. Peers can have their opinions. But in the end, you're going to stand in front of just one. And that's God. Right? God's opinion. And what does God want? He wants just repentance. And don't confuse repentance with self-hatred, it isn't. Repentance is just saying, Lord, I acknowledge all the bad choices that I have made, all the actions that have precipitated from them. I wish that I hadn't done that. And it can even be this. I understand what I am what my sinful nature looks like, what it pulls me toward, I understand that it is wrong. And I wish I didn't have that. And that's all that God wants. He loves you and takes you the way you are. You don't have to hit a certain threshold first. You don't have to get rid of those problems first. He just loves you. Because he he can see you. He, He knows all that stuff. None of it's secret. He loves you and how much does he love you? Jesus going to the cross is a major, major sacrifice that God has made. Yes, he has made it for the whole world. But if he has brought that story to your ears, if he has worked in you at all, the faith and the promise that he can forgive, then he's chose you. You. The one 
that's had so much bad things said about or could have so many bad things said about. Because of Jesus, God accepts us as we are. That's not the same as endorsing all the stuff we've did. It's not saying that you have to now remain as you are. Uh, it is a call to something higher, but it starts right away with self-worth. Though my mother reject me, though my friends reject me, you have loved me, O Lord. And that is more than enough. When you're loved by God, you know that right away you have a relationship that that empowers you. You have a future that is glorious. You could have been the most disabled, the most unfortunate, the most sinful. But now, you know, you are on the track of eternal life. You've been called for a purpose, too. This life isn't just tossed aside and now is worthless. You know, this life can be the fulfillment of God's dream for you. And that's so much better than American Idol or something else. God's dream for you. And he has one. We're going to talk a lot more about that. That's the next topic we will get to next week. But I want to leave everybody here understanding that despite whatever wounds you may carry from from your youth or from your current relationships or, or wherever they have come from, despite any of those things, God loves you and holds you in the highest regard. And so you can do the same. It is safe to do so. And when that finally filters in, you can step around and maybe understand. You know, some of these people are passing on their own hurt. That's why they are. That's what they, they said, what they said. And I don't have to do it. I don't have to be part of a generation over generation, individual over individual chain of passing on pain. I can begin the opposite. I can pass on grace. In Jesus' name, amen.